My, 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 this was a tight one. Our Christmas tree up in November poll on the Insta found 48% of you said yes. So almost half of you think it's okay to put your tree up in November. That's way higher than I thought it would be. 48%. Not a very grinchy bunch out there, are they? Not grinchy at all. And potentially, well, they're potentially quite happy too, because uh, research did say that if you put your tree up in November, it boosts your mood. It wouldn't boost my mood. I am a 1st of December man, definitely myself, uh, or even later. I'm pretty bad at leaving these things to the last minute. But yeah. If I am feeling gloomy over the next few weeks, I know what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get the tree out if you need to. <laughs> Though, you know what I want research on? Can you open your advent calendar in November? Can you have two advent calendars? Maybe one for every month of the year. That's what I want to try anyway. Anyway, ho, ho, ho. On with the show. Kia ora, This is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Aaron. And this is What's Worth Talking About. Two years since the end-of-life bill became law, we chat with David Seymour about whether it's been a success. It's a year until the next presidential election in the US, but new polling shows Joe Biden struggling in some key states. New research on endometriosis could reduce the nine-year delay between symptoms and diagnosis. And why Taylor Swift fans could determine Argentina's next president. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. It was such a huge debate and, of course, a referendum, but now assisted dying has been legal in New Zealand for two years. Figures obtained by Newsable show since the service started, there's been 1,441 applications to be helped to die, and medical practitioners delivered 565 assisted deaths. Nearly 300 people have also had their applications turned down as they did not meet the legal criteria and people changed their minds over their requests 89 times and the politician who championed that referendum was ACT leader David Seymour. Welcome to Newsable. Hi, thanks for having me on. Looking back over the three years since that referendum in 2020, has it all worked out how you planned or how you thought it would go? Um, Well, first of all, I I think you'd have to be very pleased with the way that the law is operating. Uh, The goal was always to give that minority of people who get to the end of their life and face a bad death due to a terminal illness, uh, those people should have choice and control. They should be able to choose how they go and when they go. And overwhelmingly, uh, people that want that choice are getting it. Um, Of course, there will always be wrinkles. And I'd identify two. Um, one is that you know sometimes these processes take time. That that's as they should because there should be safeguards. Um, but there are some people who, for whatever reason, um, you know, decide to change their mind or die um, before they can make their choice. That that's natural. Um, but it shouldn't happen because of unnecessary delay. I think the bigger issue is that there are a group of people uh, who have degenerative conditions, Huntington's, motor neuron disease, for example, uh, where they don't qualify to be a person eligible for assisted dying because no doctor can hand on heart say that they are likely to die within the next six months. However, the degenerative nature of their condition uh, means that they would like to be able to exercise choice. How would that extension go about, David, in practice? How would you? How would that happen? Um, well, there's a few things that will happen in the next year. One is that the law, as passed, uh, requires the Ministry of Health to do a full review on how it's working. And I suspect one of the things that will emerge from that review is that there will be people who share the concerns that I've just expressed 
um, in response to that report, if, if that's what it finds, uh, then Parliament will have the opportunity to debate and perhaps change the law. Um, but that will require somebody uh, to do as I did and actually bring a, a private member's bill uh, to Parliament, have a proper debate, and um, if the Parliament agrees or a majority of Parliament vote for it, uh, then that law could change. So that process is, is still going to take uh, several years. Do you expect any strong opposition to your proposals to to expand the scheme? I think that there would always be opposition to this issue from uh, a group of people. And what I found is that the opposition is usually spiritual, um, but they're unable to say, well, you know, what you're proposing to do with your life and body um, doesn't match my moral compass, therefore you can't do it. Now, of course, they can't openly say that. Very few uh, opponents do. Uh, so they present a range of other objections, which I think have, have been shown uh, to be false and, and unfounded. Um, but nonetheless, because people have that deep inherent motivation, uh, you're always going to see opponents on issues like this. David, hey, thanks for coming on to talk about this. Is it a relief to be talking about something other than uh, coalition talks? <laughs> Um, uh, look, the coalition talks are going well so far, uh, and um, you, you know it's all all part of the business of trying to bring about better policy change for New Zealand. Um, you know, so it's it's nice to to talk about an example of that where I I think I've played a, a good role in doing so. You know, there's a lot more where that came from, and we can make a lot more positive policy change um, once we've got a government. Excellent stuff, David Seymour, leader of the ACT Party. Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat. Thank you. Great to get a wee insight there into how negotiations are going from David Seymour. But you know what? I think it's kind of nice to have a little break from the government. National and ACT and New Zealand First are busy, you know, building their chemistry and Labour in review mode, meaning we get a little break from politics for a little bit. What do you reckon? I'll chuck a poll up on the Insta, search Newsable NZ. Is it kind of nice not having a government? Let's talk US politics instead because it is a year until Americans head to the polls once again, likely to vote for either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Well, we all know now that Chippy Chris Hipkins, is staying on as Labour leader, but things may be a little less clear in the US for the left as Joe Biden is potentially in big trouble with new polling showing he's trailing Donald Trump in five out of the six battleground states. To chat about this, we're joined now by News Hub's US correspondent Mitch McCann. Kia ora, Mitch. Thanks for coming on the pod. Good team. Thanks for having me. Now, given it's likely to be the same two candidates, people can be forgiven for thinking it would be the exact same outcome, but it's not looking that way from these polls. Yeah, not at all. This is bad news, particularly uh, for Joe Biden. This is a new New York Times poll that's come out, and really it shows that Donald Trump is leading in five of the six most important states here in the U.S., uh, almost exactly one year out from the U.S. election. So these are swing states uh, that play a large role in determining who's actually going to win the overall election. So Donald Trump is leading in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. The only one Joe Biden is actually leading in is in Wisconsin, and not by much either. So if this uh, translated into the election next year, it looks like Donald Trump would win uh, the U.S. election based on these polling numbers. Uh, he would win the amount of electoral college votes he needs. And while this is bad news for Joe Biden, it might seem good news for Donald Trump, but it's not really because the polls also show that voters really don't like either of them <laughs> and would like someone else. But out of those two, Donald Trump will probably come out on top. Why do you think voters are turning away from Biden? 
Aaron, before I spoke to you, I had a look around on the internet to see what people were saying about this. Why don't people like Joe Biden? And I think you have to kind of understand what Joe Biden has already done in a positive way for the United States. So he's been in charge of the massive COVID vaccine rollout. He's had a huge infrastructure investment that will make a big difference in this country. And he's had the lowest unemployment rate in around 50 years. So what some people have described this as kind of mystifying why Joe Biden isn't liked by so many voters. It's quite unclear, but there are a possible couple of reasons. And I think the biggest one uh, he's unpopular is his age. He would be 86 years old at the end of a second term, and he's asking people to vote him back in. Yeah, very old. And I think that would be fine if you weren't often caught um, kind of tripping over your words, slurring your words, forgetting what you're talking about or tripping over in public. Uh, So I think that's the biggest problem that Joe Biden probably faces. And it's one, quite frankly, that he can't change. <laughs> yeah, he can't dump in a time machine and get any younger. Um, yeah. There's some murmurings, though, from senior Democrats that they actually want Joe Biden to stand aside. He has said he's going to run next year. Could Biden step aside this late in the game? Hey, well, he thinks he's the only person that can actually beat Donald Trump. And to be fair to him, he has done it once already. But it would be very unusual for any Democrats to try and take on Joe Biden at this stage. There are a couple of people... If that were to happen, who it could be. Kamala Harris is one, the vice president of the United States, although to be fair, many of her poll numbers are actually lower than Joe Biden, so that might not work. Uh, And the other person is the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. He's uh, becoming more of a popular or a well-known political figure. He's even turning up at Republican debates for some reason for media attention. And he's even having a state versus state debate with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who's also running for president. Uh, in the coming months. So there are some rumours that he might be planning something, but it looks as if it will be Joe Biden. Why do you think Donald Trump is is still so favoured, given A, everything that happened during his term as president, but B, everything that's happened since? Yeah, look, that is also mystifying. But I was at court today where Donald Trump has been in New York talking to a couple of people outside, and they like that thing that Donald Trump campaigned on in the first place, Aaron, that he's different. He doesn't follow the rules. He says what he wants. Uh, And I I think there are a lot of people now, you know, I mean, that's a generalization, but I think there are a lot of people that really feel these court cases are dragging on and uh, some of them, you know, might be unfair and it's dragging the country down with it. So I think what people, you know, Republicans would like to see is an end to these continuous court cases that could end up with Donald Trump in jail Uh, and for him to be president again. And I think what's so interesting about the next 12 months is it's so uncertain what's going to happen. You could have Joe Biden as president. You could have Donald Trump as president. Donald Trump could be in jail. It's just really unknown what's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be a big year. Mitch McCann, News Hub's US correspondent. Thank you so much for coming on to have a chat. Thanks, team. Still to come, don't mess with the Swifties, how Taylor Swift fans could determine Argentina's next president. And hey, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform and we'll keep the Swifty news coming. Researchers have found a genetic link between endometriosis and IBS and findings which may improve treatment and diagnosis. Endo affects 1 in 10 Kiwi women and on average there is a 9-year delay between symptoms and treatment. To chat over the research and how it may help bring that treatment time down is Sally Mortlock, a research fellow at the University of Queensland. Sally, thank you so much for coming on Usable. No, thank you so much for your interest in our project. Can we talk a little bit about this link? What does it exactly mean for women suffering with endo? Do they all have IBS or is it just some? 
So from analyzing data from around 200,000 women, we were able to determine that women with endometriosis have about two times the risk of getting an IBS or irritable bowel syndrome diagnosis compared to women without the disease. And we were able to find that there was actually a shared genetic risk between the two diseases. So it doesn't mean everyone with endometriosis is going to have IBS, but that there is that increased risk of IBS in women with endometriosis. So is it the endo that is giving women IBS symptoms or is it two kind of concurrent channels, but they are related in that genetic link you talk about? Yeah, so it's like the two concurrent channels that are related. So there's kind of a shared underlying genetic risk that contributes to those gastrointestinal symptoms that can be experienced in both women with endometriosis and women with irritable bowel syndrome or other gastrointestinal disorders. But we did find evidence that an underlying genetic risk for irritable bowel syndrome can increase risk of endometriosis. So in that way, it can be seen as somewhat of a causal relationship as well. So women with IBS have that increased risk of also developing endometriosis. And how could that help women get a diagnosis in the first place? Because I know that is one of the biggest issues for so many women in New Zealand. Yeah. So a lot of the symptoms for endometriosis overlap those with gastrointestinal disorders. So it can be really tricky to come to a definitive diagnosis and that a lot of the time leads to that diagnostic delay. So we hope that our study really raises awareness of the link between the two diseases so that when women present to a clinic with gastrointestinal symptoms or abdominal pain, that they're investigated for both of those diseases and that they can achieve the appropriate diagnosis and therefore the appropriate treatment or management plan for their diseases. How does that actually happen? Does it is it kind of does it have to trickle down to the these frontline care workers like the GP? How do they get notified about a study like this and, and know to look in those areas? Yeah, so I mean it's definitely almost like a trickle down approach. So I guess we're hoping to raise awareness through getting information about this study out there. Um, so certainly those in the endometriosis or gynecological community we're hoping will get wind of this paper. And this idea of this relationship between endometriosis and gastrointestinal disorders. But our group at the Institute for Molecular Bioscience is also really focused on improving diagnosis in endometriosis. So this is just another step in our longer term project where we hope to introduce more diagnostic support tools to clinicians out there to help them better diagnose endometriosis. So this is just another step towards that. Awesome stuff. I'm sure that's very reassuring for anyone that might be suffering. Sally, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. That's right. Thank you for having me. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tad to you about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. No, that, I what, think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, can you believe this? A Taylor Swift story in the show and no Imogen Wells. It just doesn't seem fair. Does not seem fair. Although I must admit to both you, Jess, and listeners that I'm kind of a Swifty too. So politics. <gasps> We've got a Swifty in our Swifties midst. Excellent. Right in my wheelhouse as well. Awesome stuff. So this is politics and Swifties, which as you coming from the uh, political gallery, Aaron, <laughs> this is perfect for you, but it is Argentinian politics. I know we've got New Zealand politics in the show, we've got US politics, and hey, we've decided to chuck some Argentinian politics in there as well. Um, I'm not sure how big a follower you are, Aaron, of 
of Argentinian politics. Maybe I'll just give you a little bit of a recap of what's happening over there. Please, please. Okay. So the country is headed for a presidential runoff election this month, and I'm Apologies for my Spanish. I think it's Javier Malay. He's a far-right libertarian economist, and he is up for um, the presidential election. He is currently leading at the moment, but thanks to a big chunk of the youth vote. But, and here's where the Swifties come in, he's in big trouble because the Swifties have turned against him. They've started a subgroup called Swifties Against Freedom Advances, which is the name of Malay's party. Wow. Why do they dislike him so much? (laughs) Well, they say that they've been inspired by Taylor Swift's past efforts to confront right-wing politics in the US. So they've called Malay's positions against uh, legal abortion, his support for loosening gun laws. He's got some proposals to overhaul the public education and public health care systems as a danger to democracy. And in the most perfect timing ever, as this is all going down kind of in the next week, Taylor Swift is there this week for some concerts in Buenos Aires. This is once again a reaffirmation, do not mess with the Swifties. So, so I guess the big question, has Taylor said anything? Taylor hasn't said anything yet. She's staying really tight-lipped, which could be, you know, just good for her brand maybe. She's she's busy going to NFL games. She doesn't know what's happening <laughs> in Argentina. Although, get this, the Buenos Aires legislature have voted to name Taylor Swift as a guest of honour, and the only officials to vote against that proposal were members of Malay's party. So you could say... There's a bit of bad blood between these guys. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> that's usable for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. And I'm Aaron Diamond. We'll catch you tomorrow. See ya. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.